Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24-7. With me, as always, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. Big win for Georgia. Must win for Georgia if they wanted to accomplish uh, all of the preseason goals and all of the expectations. Uh, Bulldogs moved up to sixth in both polls, APN coaches, after knocking off Florida 24-17 in a game that, that they pretty much controlled uh, throughout a uh, real physical football game. Bulldogs came out and played a better brand of offensive football than we've seen in recent weeks, and, and that was huge. And we're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into our biggest takeaways. We're going to talk offense and the play calling, Lawrence Cager. We've got a lot to talk about in this show, and because of that, uh, no pleasantries. We don't want to hear how – you guys don't want to hear how our weekends went. You want to hear about what we think of George's weekend – and, uh, you know, this, this, one, this one can be looked at a lot of different ways. And uh, it's Georgia's third straight win over Florida, six out of the last ten. Been a long time since Georgia could say that. Kirby Smart now three and one as a head coach. And, uh, Rusty, going to start with you, man. Biggest takeaway from this game, what was the one thing that, that you feel that, that came through the most when, when you, as you watched it? Two quick things because I know we're going to talk more. Um, I thought James Coley um, – had a, a a great plan. We'll talk about that more. The touchdown to Lawrence Cager was a beautiful design. I, I actually had never seen basically back-to-back wheel routes, and they put the um, Florida defensive back, their safety, and, and, and he guessed wrong, and, and Cager was running free. So we'll talk about that later as we talk about it. But my main first quick hit would be physicality. I know Kirby Smart always says that in you know, press and meetings and that type of thing, but – I went back today, and I just watched the defense and offensive line, and I, I was very, very surprised at how Georgia – now, Florida did some great things on the run fit. They held their own. But as far as pass blocking and as the game went on, the physicality, both sides of the ball, Georgia dominated Florida. We could talk about a million different things. It was 24-17. to 17. That game was not that close. It was not that close. I mean, it should have been 23-3. to I think Georgia got a call in the first half on the ball with Cager. I think they got a bad call in the second half on the holding. That would have put that thing 23-3 to and, and probably a totally different outcome uh, later in the game. But I think just my quick thing, uh, it shouldn't surprise me, but it really did. The physicality of Georgia, man, they pushed Florida around. I mean – uh, there was to me there was a big difference on both the line of scrimmage as a whole, play after play. Uh, challenge anybody that listens to this. Jake probably does this a little better than anybody else, but go back and watch the games and kind of break it down. Man, Georgia pushed Florida around for four quarters. 
They really did, and and you know, there to me, the run game had more to do. And obviously, Florida played well, surpassed my expectations of how they could play the run. But I thought it had a little bit more to do with with a blown assignment here and there. You know, you a combo block that one guy didn't hold on to long enough, or 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 you know, somebody passing off a guy that they shouldn't have, and that's some stuff they got to clean up if they're going to play their best game. But more than anything, it was just kind of the when 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 it was hat on hat. Georgia did a really good job in that game. And uh, as you see a lot of guys say, I don't know where this originated from. I know Cole Kubelik says it some. I know I've seen uh, other analysts say it some, but pass protection is not passive. And Georgia basically put that to practice on Saturday by the way they pass protected, and they did it in a physical manner. Kip, as you watched the game, what stood out to you? Well, I think everyone was, you know, looking back to those previous two games for Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, you know, what's wrong with the offense? You know, what are they going to do differently? And you you look at this game and the stats are clear on this. I mean, they went less than 40% on third down against South Carolina, Kentucky. It was like 13 for 34 or something like that. You know, against Florida, they were, they were 12 of 18. And when you can when you can do that, when you can keep the offense on the field, I mean, you win that time of possession game, a battle, and, and Georgia did clearly. They're almost 36 minutes of possession the game to Florida's 24. You ran 15 more plays offensively than Florida did. And, and really, it's, you know, it, you give the credit to James Coley, but again, they continue to say each week that this is about execution of the game plan. And you look at the protection, I mean, it was a total team effort. Obviously, Andrew Thomas, you know, Isaiah Wilson performed well against very good defensive ends out on the edge after a couple, you know, had a couple miss, you know, miss blocks early, one or two. But you look at the entire front, you know, all, all, all six offensive linemen who played, the pass blocking was just out of this world. Uh, it, it was outstanding. But then you, you take it to the next level, the backs, the tight ends. You look at Brian Herrian, you look at Charlie Warner, DeAndre Swift, Eli Wolf. I mean, these guys were not allowing, you know, anyone to get the jig from. You know, they, they it was outstanding. You know, I saw several times they would pick up that extra man that Todd Grant would send, and it would allow them to, you know, to have that extra time they needed for the play to develop. I think it was the best performance we had seen from the offensive line in terms of pass protection. And it was against, you know, maybe the most talented defensive line they'd faced all season. So I, I think, you know, it all came together. And then obviously Jake Fromm on third down, just continuing that again. The, you know, when he dropped back and he was not under pressure, you know, he was he was lights out. And he kept those drives moving. And, I mean, that – that game clinching completion to Eli Wolf. I mean, that was a that was a beautiful play. Great, you know, great uh, play design there. And again, credit to uh, to, you know, the offensive line and, and that pass protection. That's really what stood out to me. It was something where it was you know they've been told maybe they're not as good as their press clippings, and and they came to play in there and they they established that Jake Fromm was was not going to be touched and he was going to be able to to run the offense as he wanted to. You know, I thought that was Kirby Smart's most uh, most interesting quote after the game when he was asked about the pass protection. He said that Sam Pittman, who, who rarely ever speaks up in meetings, which is kind of hard to believe because he's a pretty gregarious 
uh, guy, a guy that doesn't mind speaking up, very vocal in practice. And he doesn't normally do that. And he just kind of stood up and said, hey, the, the other coaches asked me this week, should we leave the should we leave the running backs in or the tight ends in to chip and help out with with pass protection? And he said, no. I, Sam Pittman's words were, I told him no because I thought that our tackles could handle it, that we could put them out there on an island and they could handle it. And, and again, that's coming from Sam Pittman. And uh, to me, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that was kind of a big moment for those tackles, for that offensive line. I mean, Jabari Zaniga and, and uh, uh, Jonathan Grenard coming back from injury, fresh leg, maybe not 100%, don't really know as far as that goes. And listen, those guys won a couple, two or three battles, uh, but, but you expect with them being as good as they are and to get as many one-on-one opportunities as they've got to win more and to win more decisively a few times in, in, in such a way that there's nothing Jake Fromm can do about it, but they didn't. And that that's where I'm going with it is, listen, Jake Fromm wasn't his best on, on Saturday, and, and that's not a knock. Um, you know, no, no quarterback's perfect. I don't think Jake was probably close to perfect. I think Jake's going to go back and look at that film and see some throws he missed. Um, the one to Cager uh, before the half, that was a, a sure touchdown. A tough throw, quarterback moving to his left, trying to get his feet set. He missed Tyler Simmons uh, close to the goal line. Uh, you know, he, he probably could have he probably could have played better, and they could have probably run Florida out of the stadium. But it reminded me, and I wrote this in the halftime notes. It reminded me of a good pitcher who went out there and gave you seven strong innings with less than his best stuff. When maybe a breaking ball wasn't getting over for a strike, or maybe the changeup wasn't wasn't moving like you wanted it to because Jake Fromm was money on, you know, uh, with two strikes with on third down. He was, he was money on third down. Very, very rarely misfired on that down. And one of those was to Cager. He was, when the offensive line or when the running backs or when, or when just ultimately Florida had made a good call and got a guy coming free, Fromm wasn't going to be sacked. I mean, one of the biggest plays of that game was on the on Georgia's touchdown drive on, 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 the, on the second touchdown drive on K, before Cager's fifty-two yard touchdown. Fromm was he was as elusive as I think I've ever seen him. And listen, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like he was moving you know at, at warp speed or anything, but he was just sliding around in the pocket, evading pressure, pulled through a tackle, picked up three yards instead of getting Georgia behind the chains. Georgia ended up running the ball when you combine that that scramble six straight plays before calling the play-action pass that resulted in a 52-yard touchdown to Lawrence Cager. I don't know if folks realize this or not. Georgia ran the ball to the right side of the for- – ran that play to the right side of the formation against Vanderbilt in game one, and Cager ended up with a 30-yard catch on that. Cager said that in- to the reporters after the game. But I thought that was – I thought that was one of the key plays in the game. And, uh, you know, just Jake Fromm's ability to go out there and not be – not necessarily be perfect or be even at his best, but still put together 20 for 30 for 279 yards and two touchdowns in a massive football game. And the success against Todd Grantham defenses continues for him. He's, his numbers are through the roof 
against against Grantham as the defensive coordinator. And I, I have no idea what it is. I, I couldn't really tell you. If you were to ask Jake, he would probably he himself would probably kind of poor mouth a little bit and you know kind of try to be humble about it and you know he he probably wouldn't want to get into it but I, I just don't know why that style of defense is so appealing to him because Grantham is a good defense coordinator he does bring some exotic stuff I'm sure he has some quarterbacks numbers but Jake Fromm seems to have his thus far and is three and zero against Florida as a starter. Uh, which is uh, he has a chance to do something if he stays for four years and and uh, you know we'll see how that works out uh, to do something that not very many Georgia quarterbacks have done but but his play and his ability to kind of overcome um, maybe some some of his not so best throws with great ones and come back and you just continue pounding away what was was huge in this game for me and and one of the things that really stood out. All right, moving on, and this is something we've got to hit on if you talk about this game because it relates so heavily to the noise around the South Carolina loss in the Kentucky game. James Coley, the game he called. Rusty, don't want to know necessarily, hey, I think it's good, I think it's bad, I think it was great, whatever. A little bit more of a nuanced take on this. What was your opinion of of the game that James Coley called on Saturday? I mean, I've talked about this before, and because – we didn't play on a collegiate level. Doesn't mean that we don't understand that teams change. Uh, this is a new offensive coordinator. You know, I'm not taking up for James Coley. I certainly think there were some things they could have done differently uh, approaching this game. But I think they're still kind. Of, they were kind of filling out who they were, and coming off a bye week, uh, obviously two games back to back where the offense did not perform well. The South Carolina game, four turnovers. Then they go to a rainstorm, so they couldn't work on some things. Uh, you know, I said in our podcast last week, you know, we're going to find out if Georgia can be who we all think they can be. And, I, and when, that, when I made my prediction, and we all made great predictions, by the way, shameless plug, but um, really just want to say, um, you know, they, they they were who they are and, and who we thought they were and who they can be. Listen, Georgia did. They can say he, he, Lawrence Cager played great. Lawrence Cager played great. Georgia didn't know who Lawrence Cager was until about game three. They had no idea what he could do. Lawrence Cager didn't know what he could do. These guys are still developing. Jake Fromm has got a guy now. We're, we're seven games, eight games into the season, possibly five, maybe six games left for Georgia if things go well. Um, seven games. Their, their identity is developing. When you come out of a bye week, you find out who you are. You, you, if you got problems, you got getting people healthy. I think just looking at the bigger picture, I think Georgia kind of came into who they are over the bye week, and you saw a result of that on Saturday. Was it perfect? No. But, man, it, it was so – I had a, a former Georgia player text me, uh, yesterday, and I'll just be honest with you. He said he he felt like that Georgia was very predictable to read pre-snap. Uh, he said he felt like at halftime they made some adjustments. This is a guy that I feel like would know that, and um, um, he said he may even made some adjustments in the second half. It was a lot different to watch them. So there's different things that go on during the game that normal eyes don't see sometimes, but. You know, I think it's the identity. I think people need to realize this team is going to be different at the end of November than they are right now. So James Coley is coming into his own. It looks like Georgia's coming into their own at the right time. Um, you know, I just think my, my thoughts on James Coley is 
This team is developing. Now, could they take steps back? Yes, absolutely they could. But they also could take even more steps forward. There's a lot of room there. Getting an offensive coordinator is not easy, especially not easy at Georgia. This is a big job. This is a big-time job. you got a third-year starting quarterback. you got two NFL offensive tackles, high picks. You've got an NFL first-round running back. Uh, there's a lot of pressure there. But I think Georgia yesterday took a big step in becoming who, they, who, who they're going to be uh, for this, this stretch run, which is very, very important. You know, when I when I think about the game and and think about some of those biggest situations, Rusty, I, I yeah, the fifty two yard touchdown pass was was a really a, a phenomenal call and uh, something I think had been missing from Georgia's offense was some of those layup chunk plays and uh, whether that goes for twenty five thirty yards or fifty two doesn't really matter, uh, but but Georgia had. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had three uh, they had three plays as an offense of 30 yards or more. They had five plays of an off as an offense of 20 yards or more, and those came in big situations. I mean, those were those were huge plays. And the thing I take away from this most is that I think Georgia self scouted self scouted a little bit, and they kind of realized, hey, middle of the field. Got to challenge the full width of the field. And listen, I know I was calling for this, and I'm not saying, hey, they listened to me. They hadn't heard a word I've said. If I were them, I wouldn't even care what I said. But when it comes to, to challenging the full width of the field, I think that was so important in this game because you saw Brian Herrian work free on a slant. You saw Charlie Warner work free on a slant. You saw Lawrence Cager catch a crossing route for 17 yards on third and 15, uh, or for 15 yards on third and 13. You saw Demetrius Robertson catch a ball on the outside on, on uh, third and 11. He got 17 yards. Cager had a 30-yard dig route in the middle of the field. Charlie Warner caught a ball in the middle of the field. They were working the full width of the field, and I think that helped keep uh, Florida a little bit off balance because ultimately it was it was all about you know the, the big plays and, and, and finding the open guy. And, and Fromm did a much better job of finding that open guy in the middle of the field, was, which was absolutely massive in the game. And, and it just it, the, the yards just piled up. And, and I, I go back to this, and I know I've said it already, but the no three and outs. I mean, you, you wanna, that's, the, that's the reason Georgia dominated the time of possession by 11 minutes was because there were no three and outs. And, and Florida did a phenomenal job of straining, of, of staying in that thing in terms of of you know coming up with a with some stops in the run game late, but it also kind of wore on them towards the end of the first half. Whenever DeAndre Swift was able to rip off a thirty yard run and set the Bulldogs up for a field goal, so you know I, I think that really worked well for them. I also want to to kind of point out this too. I was critical of Kirby Smart for the way he mismanaged the clock, or the way I felt he mismanaged the clock. Uh, at the end of the South Carolina game, letting, you know, I think it was like 11 seconds tick off the clock before they called a timeout, and it really kind of, the lack of time kind of came back to bottom. Man, the way they managed the clock at the end of that first half, getting points and not allowing Florida to get it, and then Georgia's able to get six points through two field goals before Florida ever gets the ball back, that was a great job too. So I, I think a lot of people did a lot of things right in this game, and James Coley's one of them because I thought he kept Florida off balance all day and it, it wasn't – it was Eli Wolf catching a 20-yard pass. It was Lawrence Cager catching a couple. It was Demetrius Robertson. It was uh, uh, Brian Harry and Charlie me, Warner. Everybody did something. Let me get in on that. While, while we're, I want people to watch that play 
And I want you to watch that route Eli Wolf ran. And when he planted, the guy was on him. He covered it. When he planted and goes to the sideline on that out, that's when he created separation. You can say what you want about him, but that's athleticism by that guy, and he hasn't been consistent with his hands. But you watch him on that route, and it doesn't get talked about in a normal game. Watch that little bit of separation when he plants and gets away from that guy just for a second, and Fromm put it on the money, the best place. But it doesn't work unless Eli Wolf runs a very good route, and he did right there. Uh, when he got to the top of his stem and put his foot in the ground. And that tells you a little bit something about him. He needs to be more consistent. But I challenge people to watch that route because he created a separation himself. It was a hell of a play by Wolf. Second most athletic thing he did on that play because the first most athletic thing he did on that play was stop himself so he didn't carry himself out of bounds. As he carries himself out of bounds, Florida's got a chance to maybe get it back with a few seconds left on the clock. Sure. He he fought. He not only did he have the football IQ and the and the 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 will to kind of fight and keep himself in bounds, but he he stopped himself. And I also thought thought Fromm Fromm made a really good judgment call on that because the Florida defender tried to run up under it, and Fromm kind of put it high and outside it a little bit so that Wolf could make the play and the guy couldn't get to it. Just a lot of things. Like I said, a lot of things went right. And, and Swift. Uh, Swift yeah. picking up that blitz on that play. Yeah, giving him a second because he had that's some guys at his feet. That's what gets you drafted in the NFL. You want to go from 29th to about 15th or 16th, start pounding some safeties and linebackers as a pass blocker. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, another thing on that play uh, before we go to break here real quick, I don't know if you've seen uh, – if you go back and watch it, uh, Jake Fromm kind of, after he makes the play, he's kind of got a little bit of a look of determination on his face. And then he looks over to the Georgia sideline and just nods a couple times, kind of like, you know, like, yeah, right call, great call. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and, and that was, that was a pretty cool moment there. Uh, before, uh, before we go into the break, want to remind everybody VIP access dogs 24 seven, whether you go monthly, whether you decided to do it annually, which is a little bit better deal right now. I'm sorry, not right now. For for perpetuity, as, as we know it, if you can get CBS All Access a ninety-nine dollar ninety-five cent value for free. It comes with it. It's it's by the it's exactly what is part of it. It's just one big package. You get all the shows, all the NFL live games, uh, all of the uh, um, that, that come with your with your. Uh, uh, local TV you get you can watch local TV live local news live you can get SEC football all of it on CBS all of that stuff streaming connected devices for free when you sign up with dogs 24/7 never been a better time to give dogs 24/7 a try that's brand new it's not even a week old and uh, folks are already really excited about it we're really excited about it I checked it out uh, on the way home from Jacksonville uh, when I was getting some getting some lunch uh, I had to go to a Taco Bell because I tried a, a Popeyes, and man, there's no getting that sandwich right now. It was about a 30 minute wait to get one of those. So I checked it out for real quick while I was standing in line and uh, and watched a little bit of NFL football. So it's definitely there. It works. It's awesome, and you need to give it a try. Let's jump into the break real quick. We'll come back on the other side. We'll talk a little Lawrence Cager and and kind of the where, where Georgia goes from here. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Kip, putting you on the spot here, man. Lawrence Cager, a guy you covered in recruiting, a guy that you followed a little bit while he was in Miami. Career high, seven catches, career high, 132 yards, and a big, big touchdown. Any of that surprise you? I mean, not if you started watching, you know, just the – just just the connection, the chemistry he had with Jake Fromm early in the year. And you could tell when he went down, the offense changed. Jake had already kind of locked into him and, and knew he can depend on him, you know, in, in those those clutch situations, just as he had with Javon Wims, just like he had with Riley Ridley in previous seasons. He knows that, that when they need a big play, that Lawrence, you know, is the guy he can go to and it's it's just really interesting when he came over to georgia you know he kind of had that label as a guy that you know would would drop the you know drop the key pass that his hands were were an issue but i mean the version of lawrence cager that georgia's you know had this season so far that's not been the case i mean he's I think he's had like 30 targets this year and he's caught 20 26 27 of those uh, of those balls thrown his way uh, you know, he's already had it's it's already a career year for him in receiving yards. He's having a strong final campaign for Georgia. You know, it's I guess it's surprising just because uh, you know, just didn't have a um, you know, coming in just a huge expectation, like Rusty said before. I mean, we didn't know really what Georgia was gonna get in Lawrence Cager, but we know that they knew he was important enough. To the to take a spot in this 2020 recruiting cycle now, with 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 Georgia yep. having you know just they they have seven spots left in this recruiting class because they decided to take Lawrence Cager they decided to take Eli Wolf and you look at this Florida game and that's the difference in the game you know having these two guys out there to be able to to close this game out and to make the big plays on the offense that was the difference in the game so obviously you know. Kirby Smart's looking good on that one, but it's not as easy as it looks because, you know, they they are two guys short when you come to that 25-man signing limit in, in, in this cycle. But, you know, from what we've seen from him this year, it's not surprising, you know, overall because, I mean, he, he's he's been very solid so far. And and coming back from injury, I mean, that it was – he was he was that number one guy. I mean, you reference the you make the starting pitcher comparison. I mean, he's the ace for Georgia's receiving core this year. So when you're able to get a guy back like that, it's huge. Um, you know, you, maybe in the Kentucky game it wouldn't have been as big of a deal just because of that weather. But the South Carolina game, and that was where you kind of saw that Georgia's receiving group. You know, they're just young. They're green, and, and he is that guy that. Uh, you know they can depend on he he's he's been the battle he's he's got enough games on his belt under his belt to be able to go out there and the moment's not too big for him yet and, and so yeah I mean I think uh, you, you look at him so far and I I cannot recall him actually having like a legitimate dropped catch this season for Georgia I mean again there's been like three or four targets he hasn't been able to reel in but an actual drop. I haven't seen it yet from him. So, I mean, it's a huge pickup for Georgia and a guy that moving forward, I mean, yeah, they got to have him out there. It's it's pretty clear that just the whole the whole team plays differently when he's out there. I mean, uh, you can look at Jake Fromm and coming out of the LSU loss last year, 
Uh, you know, that Florida game last year, he played his best game of last season before before the game against Alabama, and here we are with, with his best performance this year. I guess we should have seen this coming, that coming out of that first, you know, that loss, that if there's a one person who's going to bounce back, it should be Jake Fromm, and, and so that shouldn't be a surprise, but obviously – Having having Cager out there has been huge for him all season, and as they go into this home stretch with these key games, I mean, you know, look, looking ahead to the teams they play, having Cager out there, he knows he's got a guy he can depend on, and they can push the ball downfield and they can get those those explosive plays that everyone's looking to looking to see on that offense. And, and you're talking about here, you're talking about explosive very tough to defend plays that that he gives Georgia explosive plays where Jake Fromm and he are on the same page uh where the back shoulder whether it's the back shoulder throw whether it's side adjustments it doesn't really matter they both have played so much football both are such veterans that they that they've you know they've been in a lot of games i mean Jake Fromm i think that was his 37th game at Georgia 36 start and uh, uh Cager is a uh, fifth-year senior and a graduate. So that's a lot of maturity to have in the passing game. It obviously made a big difference. You pointed to Cajun and Wolf. Uh, that's nine catches. And by my math, I think 158 yards or 157 yards there. That's over half of Jake Fromm's yardage and right at half of the uh, of the uh, receptions uh, in terms of the balls that he completed. So definitely huge there. Another senior, Brian Herring, comes up with four catches as well. So, again, a lot of people stepped up, nobody bigger than Lawrence Cager, who I found it interesting after the game brought up that he went back and watched the South Carolina game. He heard in the second uh, second half of that telecast that Georgia couldn't do this and Georgia couldn't do that and Georgia's receivers couldn't get open and they had no game changers and they had no playmakers. I've even kind of pointed to that. Rusty's kind of even alluded to that. They had trouble creating separation, and they took that as a challenge. They had two great weeks of practice, and they came out and they separated pretty well against Florida. I don't remember very many plays where you turn and you look, and there just was nobody open, uh, and and that's key. That that's huge, and and uh, you know that that was a big reason why Georgia won that game. Rusty, going to start with you here. Last little segment of the show. Where does Georgia go from here? Yeah. As far as ceiling left, I mean, it's all there. I mean, it was easy to say after the South Carolina game, look, and it was truth, but Georgia fans didn't want to hear it. Everything was left on the table for Georgia. And right or wrong in college football, there's only about five or six teams, maybe seven teams, all this is left for. Um, And these teams are all going to play each other, so it's going to, you know, take Clemson out of the mix. Everybody else is probably going to butt heads sooner or later at some point. This team proved yesterday that, um, you know, they're not to be forgotten about and everything's in front of them. And I know, golly, I can see people rolling their eyes. It's such a coach's cliche, but it truly is one week at a time because if Georgia runs the table in November, they can still lose uh, if they win two of these three to get to Atlanta. But if Georgia runs the table and gets to Atlanta, that throws a little bit more in there as far as, you know, maybe if Georgia were to lose a close one to, you know, 31 to 30 or something like that, you never know how things play out to where uh, they make it get themselves in. But, um, you know, it's all on the table. It truly is a week-to-week deal. But when you look at Georgia yesterday, and I really wanted to see their offense, their defense versus Florida's offense because I'm telling you right now, Florida's offense, Florida's wide receivers, they got some dudes. In the next podcast, we'll talk about Georgia 
for the most part, locked those guys down. Even made an adjustment. Richard LeCount was covering guys. Because Kyle Pitts is a grown man. Um, you know, Van Jefferson, I thought it was a push-off. Look, that's football. That happens. Not making excuses. Van Jefferson high-pointed the ball. But I felt like he kind of pushed off. I didn't really see the pass interference they called. It is what it is. Uh, I just think, man, when you look at Georgia, you better take Georgia serious. Uh, and, and this game, I think we all mentioned, and I, and I text you guys, this is huge. It's huge for a lot of reasons, but I'm telling you, Georgia got back in that national talk. I watched a lot of shows last night, this morning. Everybody just about mentioned, hey, Georgia had kind of been forgotten. Uh, you know, Georgia's a dangerous team. Georgia's that team that if they play like that, you kind of don't want to play right now because uh, they could get rolling. Uh, we'll see how things go. I'm not going to jump out, of, not going to get crazy. But yesterday, with their defense, the way they're playing, It'd be pretty tough to play right now if their offense can continue uh, to give them points in the offensive line plays like that. Georgia has got a lot of ceiling left on this team, I believe. I'm glad you brought up the defense because obviously it played really well. And and I think when you look at the momentum Florida had coming into that game offensively, how well Kyle Trask had been playing, how well those receivers have been playing, Freddie Swain ended up having a pretty big day. I think he ended up leading them in receiving yards. Uh, but you're right, Georgia did do really well against that passing game, made them earn every single yard on that final drive, and that's a big reason why it took six minutes uh, to, to for them to score and gave Georgia a chance on its final drive to run the clock out. But, but you, the defense played really well, and I've said this all season long, the defense, the way that defense plays, the way it limits big plays and stops the run is going to keep Georgia in a lot of football games. And they do it without really a superstar, without a bona fide, hey, this guy's a number one, top 10, top 20 pick, first round guy. And they, they may have five, six second round guys on there, but they may not have one first round guy out there right, right at this particular time as far as a, a guy that plays a lot of snaps for them. So that to me, that, that says a lot about how that defense is coached and how well it plays as a unit. Uh, Kip, where does Georgia go from here? I mean, coming into the you know last week, Georgia and Florida each had a hand on the on the steering wheel, and, and Georgia, you know, they knocked Florida's hand off. They got both hands on the steering wheel now. I mean, they're in the driver's seat by themselves right now, you know, to be in Atlanta. And then again, as we said, there's a lot of football to be played. Missouri, obviously, is the biggest game of the season now, and they've lost games to Vanderbilt and Kentucky, but once again. They have that bye week, so we we've seen it. We, you know, we've seen it from teams earlier this year. And, you know, Georgia's going to get their best look. You know, they're they're coming off that bye, and they know Georgia's the more talented team. But when you have that extra time, that's all you have to focus on is 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 scheming and, and seeing you know what looks they can give Georgia that Georgia hasn't seen. And so Georgia's got to take the momentum they have from this game, and. That, you know, the offensive, the diversity and the play calling we saw against Florida, you got to take that and you got to move forward with that and continue to do that. Continue to confuse the defenses and, and not be predictable. You know, your wide receivers have to continue to focus on getting that separation. I mean, uh, one of the things that stood out to me as we talked about Lawrence Cager is it wasn't just 50-50 balls. I mean, it wasn't all back shoulder fades in this game. These weren't just contested passes. These guys were able to to find that space, and yep. and, and get yards after the catch. 
and, yep. and, and that was that was clutch in this game. So uh, as far as you know, getting better and, and trying to get to Atlanta, they have that, and they have the the key guys in place, and, the, and they have the blueprint in place. What they just did is what they need to continue to work on to show they're one of the best teams in the country. They're you know when those college football playoff rankings come out. I mean, there's a good chance they are the number one one-loss team. They're that number six team that's just outside looking in. But we all know who's playing next week, you know, in Tuscaloosa. We know Alabama and LSU are playing. And we know that Ohio State's going to play Penn State as well. And we know we have the championship games. And if Georgia gets there, I mean, as we've said, they can play their way in. They have everything. All their goals are right there. And it's it's about continuing to get better on a week-to-week basis. It is cliche, but it's true. And we're seeing it happen. We saw it happen there. We saw a Florida team that was limited to 21 rushing yards and 17 carries. I mean, when you do that, uh, you're going to be tough to tough to beat. It wasn't a game with a bunch of turnovers, but it was a game where Georgia established the line of scrimmage on both sides. And guys that we like, we said aren't showing up in the stat sheet a, a lot. Malik Herring. You know, Devontae Wyatt, what they did, you're not going to see it. Jordan Davis, you're not going to see it on the stat sheet. But at the same time, they were in Caltrass' face. And a half of every snap, he dropped back. He had a guy. He was being affected by Malik Herring. He had Jordan Harris push, knocking guys back. And Jermaine Johnson as well with one of his, maybe his best game I've seen from him this season as well. Again, guys that didn't blow up the stat sheet. Didn't have the flashy play like Aziz Ojolari did, but at the same time, these guys were the key to Aziz being able to get to Cal Trask and Cal Trask just being so heavily affected in that game. And that and that's what Trey Scott wants. That's what Kirby Smart wants. He's not worried about the sack totals. He that havoc rate is more than just whether that quarterback was on his back. If that ball got affected and that pass was not completed, and the, and the play did not gain what they want, that was havoc in their eyes. And you saw that from Georgia's defense, and it showed that they're going to be really tough to uh, the beat moving forward as far as teams trying to, to run the ball and, and teams trying to have their quarterback stay clean. And much like the offense, it was there were so many different guys on the defensive side. And, and when I look at the turnover thing, guys, I think there were two. Obviously, you got the turnover on downs with the fourth and one on the first drive. There was a third and one uh, in that game, I think, in the second quarter where Devontae Wyatt and Tyler Clark were in the game at the same time, and both of them won decisively at the line of scrimmage and got a tackle for a loss or, or a tackle for no gain on LaMichael Pirine and forced, uh, forced uh, Florida to punt. I consider both of those turnover-esque simply because those are situations where you know Georgia got the ball at the 40 on one and third and one converted a high percentage of the time and Georgia getting a stop there. By the way, Georgia didn't struggle with short yardage in this one. Not not like it not at all, really. They they picked them all up. So that was also big. As far as where I think Georgia goes from here, I got two points. One, and and you guys kind of alluded to this without putting it into these terms, one game playoff from here on out. It is, it's one-game playoff. It's playoffs from here on out for Georgia, basically. Lose, and you're out. Win, and you fight on. And uh, that's where it is. And it takes one point each week. It can be by one. It can be by 30. And two, that complete game is still waiting. It's still – and you can do it more than once, but it's sitting in the vault for the Bulldogs. And and they've got to figure out how to get it out of there. they got to figure out the combination and, and, and open that door and let it out and let it free – 
And I'm sure Kirby Smart would like to see about six or seven of those in a row here to end the season. That's hard to do. But uh, Georgia's, Georgia's still left that complete game out there because, I like, again, Jake Fromm was great. I think he's. I think he can be better. Uh, offensive line, great in pass protection. I think he can run block better. I think the defense uh, could have could have done a little bit better job too. And and that's not all to say they didn't play great because they did. But the the potential is there. Tyson Campbell still not healthy enough to play, uh, or not not as not in his in game shape like they wanted to be. He missed a lot of time. Uh, you know, Lawrence Cager is going to keep getting healthier. Uh, you you got to think that the game on Saturday and some of the plays they were able to make are going to get this team some more confidence going forward. And all of that is still left on the table for Georgia. And I think there's reasons for optimism. Now, obviously, this team has shown that if it comes out and it doesn't play well, it can lose. It can lose to just about anybody. Cause South Carolina's not all that great. Four and five after a win over, over uh, Vanderbilt this weekend. But uh, ultimately, I think this team is, is kind of where it wants to be. Um, it would love to be undefeated right now, but it, all of the all of the, uh, the the goals, all the aspirations are still on the table, and and this team is still yet to put that that uh, game together. Any final thoughts before we close this joker up? Jay got a question for you, real quick. Thoughts on Jermaine Johnson playing the majority of the snaps, um, basically behind Oz's and playing the other spot yesterday. You know, I thought that was interesting, and and what I took from that, Rusty, was the fact that he must have had a really good couple weeks of practice. He must have sure. had a really strong couple weeks of practice, and and you see that during the during the open week. I I, I look back, I can't remember when it was, uh, probably two thousand nine, maybe, uh, maybe yeah, it was two thousand nine, and you hadn't seen Washon Ely, and I drove through Stillmore, Georgia today, so that kind of made me think about it, but. Uh, didn't see with Sean Ely play at all. And then all of a sudden he's in there taking tall sweeps against LSU in, in a really big game. And I want to say that came off of a bye week. Maybe it didn't, but at any point in time, some of these guys who aren't playing a ton, some of the, some of these guys that aren't get, getting the, the major role or, or living up to the hype, all it takes is one great week of practice, one time getting in there and playing and playing well, and then bam. It's it's kind of Katie bar the door from there on out. So th- that's kind of what I took away from. It must have been a really really fine couple weeks of practice for him, and a bigger body, you know, run fit, sure. you know, six six two fifty guy, and, and um, you know, part of their plan. But just want to get your quick thoughts on it. We'll see if that's something moving forward because Georgia's got to find a way to create some more pressure. Uh, and he was a guy that was inserted yesterday that was different than what's been the rest of the year. Yeah, definitely, definitely changed up some tendencies there with personnel and things like that. And, uh, guys, we'll have everything covered for you from here on out, heading into Missouri. We'll be back with you later this week to talk about that matchup with the Tigers. Uh, uh, the second of three straight teams who have a bye week before Georgia. And, uh, and you know, then it's all on to Auburn after the Missouri game. We should get the Auburn game time tomorrow. Going to be shocked if that one's not a 3.30 kickoff because that's a huge one coming up that weekend. And, uh, man, Big November coming up. Four games left. Uh, SEC championship game lurking. If Georgia can win two of those SEC games, a lot to look forward to, a lot to cover. We'll have it all at Dogs 24-7. You can get that CBS access if you come on over and join us. Uh, and make sure if you do, give us a shout-out on the uh, on the Junkyard, and we'd love to introduce you and introduce ourselves. But for this episode of the uh, Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7, and we'll catch up with you later on.
now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.